Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Martin Watkins, Chief Executive Officer of the Montes Group Limited, which is developing an infrastructure to support digital securities. Martin, thanks for joining us. Many thanks for the invitation, Dominic. Pleasure to be on board. I thought we'd begin by looking at who you are and 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 why Montis uh, Group exists. So tell me, why does Montis exist? What's the problem you uh, set up to solve? And uh, given that you're a a digital digital security CSD, um, why couldn't an existing CSD do what you do? Well, certainly. Thank you for that, Dominic. Um, I think the starting point is that uh, if we look at the traditional world today, then clearly there are CSDs which are functioning well, servicing the markets and so on. Um, And that's been based very much on the conventional business and conventional securities. But we've seen over the last uh, five years that there's been a gradual evolution to, uh, to look at the way that financial innovation can create tokens and natively digital securities, which the traditional CSDs uh, are not well suited to uh, to support. Um, and what I'm what I'm thinking of there is that uh, a CSD or the creation of CSDs sort of dates back, uh, ignoring the ones that came out of the 1960s with the euro bond market, um, but to the um, to the more um, better known CSDs in terms of uh, those came around from the G30 in about 1989 when they recommended uh, that every domestic market should have a central securities depository to hold securities, uh, get some efficiency gains, um, de-risk the marketplace, remove manual errors and so on. And so if you look through the 1990s and into uh, the 2000s, there's been a plethora of CSDs being created the most recent one uh, that was announced from the um, European side was uh, following Brexit, uh, the idea that uh, the Irish market, the Republic of Ireland, should have its own CSD. Now, that's fine, but if you look at it, the bulk of those CSDs today are operating on technology that is legacy. It's 20, 25 years old. Uh, some of them are operating in proprietary uh, protocols which don't support um, ISO 15022, 20022 to the full extent, but they're all migrating across. The challenge that we've been set, and this came from our parent, Archax, uh, who was the first FCA permissioned MTF broker and custodian for digital securities, was where's the infrastructure to actually support uh, tokens and to support natively digital issued securities. These are, in our case, looking from an initial stance of European Union, MIFID compliant instruments. Um, And the infrastructure wasn't in place. Our checks were finding it very difficult despite being authorized to actually get access to this market. Uh, And so they tasked me and a small group at Montis to come on board and actually um, design a digital CSD uh, which we've done. We've uh, also put our applications into Luxembourg with the CSSF and BCL, the Bank Central de Luxembourg. And we're going through the processes of being an applicant CSD to operate both CSD systems and security settlement systems based on blockchain technology. The 
market that you are looking to serve here have you worked out how big it is how big is your target market oh that's the interesting thing is that the the target addressable market we've got dominic actually dwarfs the current uh, global capital markets and the reason behind that is that first of all we can support conventional securities and that's what we've had the system designed to do but our differentiation is that we're focusing on tokenizing portfolios and also natively digital securities. That's where um, you don't have something like a company's uh, act, which means you've got to have a paper record held at a registrar. This is the natively digital issuance allows you to have the issuance of a security directly onto a blockchain held by a CSD. Um, that means that where we have the current addressable, the, the current market for capital markets uh, for securities, we can support all of those. We can also then move into the emerging marketplaces, whether it be for um, semi-liquid or highly illiquid securities. We can move into um, supporting real estate uh, securities. We can have um, a, a raft of new product sets which sit outside of what's been the traditional conventional capital markets. So all of those emergent um, corporates who are looking to actually raise funds, we can support them both in a tokenized format or in natively digital. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned your, your parents, Archax, in particular, their inability to get help from existing CSDs for what they wanted to do. So how does this relationship uh, as part of the same group work? Is Montes dependent on Archax uh, for business or are you independent of Archax? And if you are independent, um, how independent are you? How does the governance work between you and, and Archax? Uh, we are independent. It's been set up so that um, once we become an authorised CSD, uh, from an Archax perspective, uh, the majority of our objective has been achieved in that we've now started to put in place some of the infrastructure that's currently missing in the marketplace. Uh, in terms of ownership, they own less than three quarters of, uh, of Montes, um, but they want to own uh, certainly significant amount until we become a CSD. And then it's a question of market forces and also uh, how we develop further. Uh, our first client is going to be the Archax MTF. Uh, sorry, our first trading venue is going to be the Archax MTF, um, supported by Archax Custody. Um, but we're also uh, agnostic on venues, so we're in detailed discussions with a series of other trading venues and exchanges uh, about connecting into Montes and about supporting them with uh, digital securities being admitted onto their venues. We're also in discussions with all the major custodians in the marketplace around connecting to us. So whilst we, the, the origin of our creation is that Archax was frustrated by not having access to the incumbents. Um, we are actually being set up so that we're not a vertical silo inside an Archax group, that we actually stand outside. And part of my own objectives are to get issuances from other venues, sorry, uh, issuances admitted to other venues and settled through Montes. And maybe the other thing just to mention on that is that the Archax MTF um, is going is is live ready at the moment and their first issuances um, in this case uh, equity is currently going through the risk management uh, operation over at Euroclear so you can see how also Archax has to coexist without us at the moment until we are uh, until we get our application through. So you're independent enough to work with other digital exchanges and by that I mean 
the ones you're talking to are comfortable with the fact you're nearly three quarters owned by Archax, are they? Uh, they are, yes. And that's where it's really important from a corporate governance point of view and from a setup and a structure point of view that we're open for those exchanges uh, to do all of their own due diligence. Also, potentially, some of them have, have considered investing in us. So we see it very much as being um, a journey that we're getting on until we get our authorizations through. And then uh, is the is the opportunity for, for Archax and ourselves to evidence further, that in this case, you're thinking through shareholding, um, the independence that Montes has. The whole essence behind it is that uh, Archax in its ecosystem becomes more successful if an independent Montis is growing its markets and supporting a much greater adoption of digital securities, not just in Europe, but globally. We talked a bit about your target addressable market, but how do you build that market? Where does the demand for the services you're going to supply actually come from? How do you ginger them up, if you like? Uh, are you talking to, to asset managers primarily or to corporate issuers? or indeed to asset managers themselves as, as issuers of funds? Uh, we're talking predominantly to the asset management side. Uh, we are we do have discussions going on with some issuers, but uh, predominantly it's on the, uh, on the global asset managers. We've got several initiatives underway at the moment because we're not looking to do a proof of concept. We're actually looking to go straight to live case, live instance. Uh, we're working with several of them around how we would tokenize existing portfolios that they've got, but also there's a couple of examples where they're looking, saying they actually want to do the initial issuance onto Montis and, and have us support their tokens and get the, uh, uh, the distribution, the issuance uh, through to the redemption in the case of bonds, but the issuance uh, through Montis uh, from the get-go. Mm -hmm. You've just mentioned tokenizing portfolios. Can you explain a bit more what, when you have these conversations with, with asset managers, and indeed other potential customers, what, what are the what are the benefits that you describe to them? Certainly, I think the, the benefits come in in two forms, but one one from a technological perspective, and we've seen that around distributed ledger technology, and the other ones from the financial innovation that it uh, that can be released as a result of that. Um, if we look accessibility. Around accessibility, you've got the fact that, first of all, there are new asset classes which are coming in, and they're coming in in a world that the uh, Z generation, the millenniums, want to, want to work on. They are used to being able to trade on their uh, uh, Toro uh, platforms, off the smartphones, off uh, Binance, or anything else like that. That's the world they're in. And now what we're bringing in is the financial market perspective, so that we can support uh, the accessibility to those as financial in, financial products through established institutional uh, investment firms. Other aspects, um, uh, that, that obviously, sorry, gets you out to a much broader uh, global investor base and also the emerging investor base that's coming through. Um, second aspect on the accessibility is that tokenizing uh, some of the existing uh, funds allows us to get it onto a secondary market, which increases the liquidity, um, gives uh, a wider access, new channels for capital raising. Um, and with it also, there's the other aspect of cost efficiency. Um, so uh, from that perspective, we've looked very much around how can we get to a point where we can do 24 by 7 issuance and redemption and settlement of financial securities. 
when you come on to the the next stage on democratization what we're really looking to do here is give not only the easier access to the investments, but also to unlock uh, access to private companies, uh, SMEs, um, where, for example, some of the investment uh, thresholds could be extremely high. We'd look at fractionalization. Um, and with it, you also get the ability to have uh, the immutable records and the, trans uh, uh, the transparency and openness that goes with having the records visible, but not the historical track record so you could see which bank or which which investor is is following which strategy. The other bit that comes from the efficiency gains is very much around having first a single source of truth so we can eliminate or significantly reduce the level of reconciliation that's required still complying with CSDR. We can look at event driven workflows so that you automate the life cycle uh, and the life cycle management. Um, we reduce the level of friction on post-trade. Um, and one of the other key aspects behind this is we're very clearly focused on um, reducing or eliminating zero value add activities. So that where we've got functions which every single intermediary is having to perform and there's no value add, no differentiation, actually by centralizing it onto a blockchain, uh, we give everyone the access to the same information in the same format and those aspects uh, actually go away. Mm -hmm. uh, other key ones, fractionalization. Well, it's been there in equities for a long time, but there are many other digital securities or, or financial instruments that you can't fractionalize very easily. And if you wanted, um, in my days when I used to be, uh, I was seconded to the Royal Mint for a while, the whole concept that my, my grandmother could choose to invest £100 for each of her grandchildren in gold, in a gold bar, a specific gold bar, was really complex. But if you digitise gold, then you've got the ability to do that. And we've seen a number of initiatives on that way. So a range of different benefits there, really around accessibility, democratisation and the efficiency gains that we can get. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned lots of things like these new asset classes, cheaper cost of capital, 24-7, you know, trading, if you like, access to these private company SME strategies, which have been kind of monopolized by, by private equity firms, is transparent, open records, single source of truth, uh, automation of the life cycle management, fractionalization and so on. You didn't mention um, the, the characteristics technologies of of blockchain by which i mean smart contracts and atomic settlement are they are they part of your model of making things accessible democratic and efficient uh absolutely absolutely if you if you think about the the smart contracts one of the aspects there and it depends how you look on the construct of your tokens and how you have the constructs of your smart contracts um that there, there are aspects there, for example, the technology that we've uh, we've been deploying and we're, we're having built for us at the moment actually gives us the ability to take smart contracts, which maybe are not uh, created by us, created by uh, a third party, by another CSD or by they're elsewhere in the market. And they've come into our ecosystem where we can actually reach out to that smart contract, extract from it the corporate corporate event information process the corporate event or the corporate action, and then update the results into that smart contract so that we can have a, a very efficient process there. Um, your uh, other aspect, Dominic, can you just remind me the, the second one that you came up with? Uh, atomic settlement, uh, smart contracts, yep. the two things I raised. Mm -hmm. Yep, atomic settlement, um, from, from day one, we'll be able to support atomic settlement. 
Um, one of the aspects that we've got to think here, though, is about adoption from a market perspective. If you've got a self, if you've got a, a pre-funded market, atomic settlement, the immediacy, the ability to immediately have ownership to the to either the asset or to have the the cash available in your record to reuse, means that you can get much greater velocity around both cash and securities. That's a huge benefit where you've got markets set up to support that. But we're also mindful that the current marketplace works on T plus two or T plus one potentially soon in the US for equities, but for other markets, you're in T plus five. And we're looking at how can we have the ability to support um, atomic settlement from the, the point at which it immediately adds benefit to those who are participating in it, but also the ability to have staged settlement periods which are pre-agreed between the parties. The world that we really see us going into, because that would then allow the netting and the other functions to be performed, the world we really see ourselves going into is one in five years time or more where you actually have all your stock lending and borrowing, shorting, securities financing, all available for tokenized and natively digital securities in the same way as you've got the marketplace today. But it's all done with so much immediacy that um, at the point that, let's say, JP Morgan is sitting on the Algorand network and is transacting with City, who are sitting on the uh, R3 Corda network, that that transaction is very much like cogs in a wheel. That transaction at the trading level, whether it's OTC or through a venue, causes the state change at every single part of the ecosystem. And so our records immediately update as a result of that transaction. So it's a combination. Um, atomic settlement is available from day one, but we see that actually it's, it's a phased introduction of how we're gonna be able to work, uh, how we're gonna have everything ready. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, uh, the payment rails uh, are still gonna be conventional from our, from our uh, initial proposition to go live, we're accessing target two uh, for Euro settlement. So uh, you know, that's not offering atomic settlement, but it does mean we've got the capability from uh, from day one. And you'll be ready when they start uh, using CBDCs to uh, settle real transactions as opposed to running endless POCs and pilot schemes. I think it's the, the Swiss are about to move in that direction. Yeah, we certainly see combination, actually, um, jumping ahead to that side. It's very much uh, we see the first the demand developing for deposit tokens uh, and for bank coins, where you've got commercial bank money being tokenized first. And then you've got the introduction of wholesale CBDC, which from our side needs to sit alongside um, existing uh, fiat and uh, digital currencies, those that are uh, uh, eligible for use in a regulated financial market. Now, we, we've talked, Martin, about uh, who you are, why you exist, the sort of things that you do. Could we talk now a little bit about the wider environment you find yourselves operating in, and specifically about regulation and law? And my first question is, is how helpful or unhelpful uh, regulation has been in setting up your business. And I'm thinking here of regulations such as the EU Settlement Finality Directive, the Central Securities Depositories um, Directive, the Markets in Crypto Assets Directive, 
seems to be a lot of these. I've got this pilot regime for CSDs as well. Uh, and of course, you have before you this example of, uh, of ID2S, which was working in the commercial paper market in France, um, not uh, enjoying uh, the success which it had hoped to enjoy. So how helpful has uh, EU law, Luxembourg law, French law, German law been? And how helpful has UK uh, law been? Um, it's still partially bound by CSDR. We've got these uncertificated securities regulations have been there for a while. We've got this legal joint task force, which has published some some papers. Uh, and I think you've contributed to some of those papers, actually. Um, oh, so yeah. tell me, yeah. This is a very complex question, but you've got an awfully complex legal environment, let alone and regulatory environment to operate in. How difficult has it been? Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it has been challenging, and I'll certainly give. Fun, I should think. <laughs> I'll certainly give you that. It's. Uh, um, I didn't realise that there were so many law firms in the world, um, but I seem. It looks as if we've spoken to almost all of them. Um, and just before I go in, what I'll probably do, if I may, Dominic, is split that into the regulation followed by the law. But you mentioned ID2S, and I think this is one of the really interesting things that uh, we may later on get on to talk about the uh, the Delta Capita deal that Montes mm -hmm. has struck. Um, but that's based on settled technology, which is what ID2S operated on. And one of the key aspects behind there, and you've said this, this is about regulations. Um, really important to us was that our choice of technology is something which whilst we're using it um, for access to target two, and ID2S used it for target two securities, you still have the fact that the underlying technology we're looking to use has been recognized by the ECB general counsel and by the French regulators for access to target two securities. And that's where I think the regulations give us a degree of comfort and, and certainty that what we're setting out on is not inappropriate, but what's really important is now how we apply it in our own way. And that's where I'd probably pick on CSDR first on the list, uh, and it is a long list of regulations you have to comply with. You uh, you could also have added in the uncertificated securities regulations, which is a, a UK perspective. But sitting with CSDR, um, we've got a huge advantage over the incumbent CSDs, who I must admit I've got I've got a lot of sympathy for them in trying to take 30-year-old systems, 30-year-old processes and organizations and fit them to a regulation, CSDR, which came out under 10 years ago. Um, so they had a real problem of how do you get something that's, that's, uh, that's square into a round hole. We, on the other hand, look at it and we see that CSDR, the main objectives of which are to create a a regulatory and a prudential regime for CSDs that's common to increase the robustness and the resilience of the security settlement systems and to create a single market for CSD services. We think that's great because it gave us the guidelines that we need to be able to fit into to offer core CSD services, notary services, security settlement services, and general maintenance services. So that was for us extremely good because they set the rules that we had to adhere to. Um, one of the other things they did was they actually filled some of the gaps that Settlement Finality Directive did not specifically require of a CSD. Um, and I'll come to those in, in just, a, just a second. Um, Settlement Finality Directive though was already out there and that seeks to offer uh, obviously a, an orderly settlement finality 
um, and legal enforceability of the transfer securities, really key to the business that we have. Um, and from our perspective, we've focused very carefully on our blockchain-based service and how we meet the three aspects of settlement finality. Uh, having it set out was really helpful from a regulatory standpoint. The problem we had was actually how do you fit it in from a CSD and how do you fit it in from a blockchain-based digital CSD? Um, and what we, what we did there was because SFD doesn't um, specifically refer to CSDs um, and doesn't refer to um, the moment of irrevocability, um, CSDR does, and we've called that out very clearly. So where settlement finality has worked for us is evidencing the moment that we transfer, that the transfer order enters our system. Um, that's been very straightforward for us. That's, uh, we've, we've documented that in detail and shared that with the regulators. The key aspect there is that's the point at which insolvency protection occurs because it's now in our system and a CSD offers insolvency protection. The second point, which for us is almost simultaneous, is the point of irrevocability that neither party can actually change the underlying transaction. Um, that is something which CSDR specifically calls out, and that's something that we've identified naturally being a, a blockchain-based service. We can take a match trade and we can clear and match, which is the enter into the system and also the irrevocability at the, uh, almost instantaneously at the same time. And then we come to the third one, which is settlement finality. We're offering it on uh, DVP. Um, settlement finality comes in, sorry, the legal enforceability of it comes in as settlement finality three. We've defined all of those in line with SFD. Um, CSDRs help because that's added and filled some of the gap that was there around CSDs needing to do this. And the third bit is we've gone through the law, lawyers at uh, CMS in Luxembourg to reconfirm that we're able to do that under Luxembourg law, operating under CSDR on a blockchain. And that's worked well. But you mentioned something else. Uh, you mentioned two others, uh, Mika or Mica, um, and the pilot regime. Um, Mica, which comes in next year, offers us, offers us um, the ability to provide an element of cash on chain with e-money tokens, which will come in under the e-money directive uh, obligation. But uh, Mica does give us the ability to offer e-money tokens um, as the transfer of value in our CSD services. Um, and we're looking at the detail about how we may wish to do that. Um, naturally, our starting point is target two, which is central bank money, fiat. And we're working with a number of the financial institutions around their offerings of deposit tokens, which themselves have been designated um, uh, as, as fiat. Um, but the other one that you mentioned was the pilot regime, which we think is quite a fascinating bit of regulation. Um, it's come in as a six-year term, uh, has a couple of limitations, but congratulations to the European Union, uh, whether it's Parliament, Council or Commission, or in fact, all three together, because they were first out the blocks um, with uh, a set of uh, legislation that um, enables the adoption commonly across 27 member states in terms of uh, being able to um, 
to admit or to issue and record securities on a blockchain and to transfer them and to settle them. Um, in our case, a couple of things on the pilot regime. Uh, you can have exemptions, obviously, uh, on the recording on a blockchain or around integrity of issuance. Um, you can have uh, exemptions around uh, segregation of assets, cash settlement, uh, settlement finality, also on your participants, um, and around things like CSD links and also settlement discipline. But there's a couple of things with the pilot regime which are challenging, we think. Um, the first is that it applies limits and thresholds on the size and value of the financial instruments that are admitted for trading on a MTF, but also recorded um, on a, a blockchain uh, CSD. So from our side, we think the challenge with those thresholds is the way this market can develop is very early in that six year period. And it's only, only started a couple of months ago in terms of being able to apply for exemptions. Uh, very quickly, we see those, those thresholds being hit, uh, which would then restrict the ability to, um, to develop further. Um, the, the second aspect is that because it's six year term, uh, you must evidence that there's a way to reverse your issuances out uh, back into the conventional market. And if we're looking at natively digital securities as well as tokenized, there, there's, that's quite a significant limiting factor as well. Um, but the pilot regime brings in some other fascinating ideas because you've got a DLT financial market infrastructure or market infrastructure, which can have an MTF or a CSD. And so we've looked very seriously at um, the opportunity to combine MTF and CSD services under the pilot regime uh, to create a DLT trading and settlement system. Uh, still undergoing the evaluation of whether we do apply for exemption, um, but it's a fascinating opportunity there. But our challenge is that we actually want to go out first and get our full uh, scope uh, CSD license, and the pilot regime would only offer a limited scope. So great regulation there. You've seen and you mentioned about the UK as well. Um, the UK, uh, through the FSMB, the Financial Services Market it, Marketing Bill or Markets Bill, um, has given the secondary legislative powers to HM Treasury. Uh, that means that they can make changes to underlying legislation in the in the UK to support the adoption of digital securities and the use of blockchain technology, amongst other uh, emerging technological innovations. Um, the UKJT, the UK United Kingdom um, Jurisdiction Task Force, you're exactly right. We've put submissions in there. They've come out with some very interesting findings. And we believe that um, we're probably within a whisper of, of being able to um, offer our services in the UK as well. But who knows? The only thing that we've applied for at the moment is Luxembourg, and that's where we're very clearly focusing, focusing on. And I'll pause for a moment, uh, Dominic, because this would naturally lead me into talk about the laws. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to ask you about Gibraltar as well, because you, you looked at Gibraltar first, not least because they passed this blockchain law, and so it seemed a natural place to go. They also had this access, special access to the to the European Union markets, um, but you decided not to go there in the end. Um, 
we've we've paused it. I think we've first of all we worked for over a year with the Gibraltar government and with the GFSC out there, um, with several law firms, law firms yet again uh, doing an excellent piece of work uh, out there, um, because Gibraltar is a British overseas territory, um, and it has Brec sorry it has CSDR available to it but not enshrined in law at the moment, but it, it has it as a result of the UK and Gibraltar being part of the European Union. Um, and what we've been looking at with, uh, with the government and the regulator out there was as part of a, a, a working group that was set up, um, what would it take to put that in place? Um, Gibraltar hasn't got a CSD and also Gibraltar hasn't got a central bank. So there are some elements there where you need to do it in a slightly different way. They also don't have the uncertificated securities regulation, which uh, is the UK approach to, uh, to handling dematerialization and so on. But they have got some excellent DLT distributed ledger technology uh, principles already in place. There are 10 of them. Um, they are a market which um, does give access directly into London through the uh, through the GAR, the Gibraltar, uh, uh, I think it's Gibraltar um, uh, authentication regime. Um, and they one of the other aspects to look at is it's probably one of the most logical places to consider looking at a natural persons reg regime, um, because uh, as as you may well be aware that most of the regulations, settlement finality directives, CSDR and others, it all talks about legal entity. And if we look at where the world's going to, natural persons is also a key component of that, where you and I could choose to custody our securities at a CSD and that we'd want to be able to instantaneously use our smartphone and transfer them back and forth. So uh, Gibraltar was a serious consideration, but it wasn't that we decided not to, the laws aren't yet in place to allow us to, to apply. And if the laws and the authorization for the regulator is not there, then the regulator can't actually accept our application. Okay, it sounds like Gibraltar might be useful in a decentralized, disintermediated future. It's certainly, it's certainly a very innovative regime. And I must say congratulations to the individuals there, Albert Isola, the minister, um, Paula Stengo, um, and everyone at the GFSC, you know, they are very innovative, uh, but you know, this is a big step for them. Yeah. You mentioned you were within a whisper of being able to offer your services in the UK as well. One of the things the UK has offered is to revitalize its regulatory sandbox. Is that helpful to you or is it too late for that? Uh, no, it's certainly helpful. And you know, we have had discussions with HM Treasury, same as we do with the Bank of England and so on, because none of this, none of this is something where uh, we, we would ever want to cause a surprise. We are trying to step very deliberately, very clearly um, within the regulations and the laws that apply. Um, the HM uh, Treasury FMI sandbox has very strong appeal to us. Um, from our perspective, we would love to be able to be authorized in the sandbox uh, and evidence that we are um, a credible um, full scope CSD uh, at the appropriate stage, having gone through all the checks and balances from the regulator's perspective and from the central bank, um, and then actually come out of the sandbox as a digital CSD. Um, but today uh, we look and we contribute. Um, we've, we've also expressed um, very clear 
uh, articulation of the differences between common law and civil law with the support of lawyers um, and how we can operate under CSDR because that's still the UK uh, regulation for CSDs, um, but also other countries as well. Um, so from our own perspective, we are looking very carefully at what are the right regimes to be in place. Uh, and the HMT uh, FMI sandbox is a very logical extension of what uh, a place for us to uh, uh, to prove what we're doing. But it's not the only one. I mean, for us, the laws in Luxembourg already are extremely advanced, innovative, and it's a very um, uh, a very mature location with innovative regulators and central bank and capital market. Yeah, and lots of fund issuers, which I'm sure we'll come to a bit later. But uh, <laughs> yeah. what, what, one jurisdiction in which organisations like yours have stepped successfully out of regulatory sandboxes to become uh, thriving businesses is, of course, Singapore. And I wondered where you think the earliest adoption of the kind of services that you're offering is going to occur. When I look at Singapore, it seems to be very progressive compared to the UK or Europe or the United States. So where do you think the earliest adoption jurisdictions are going to lie? Is it going to be in Asia or here in Europe? Uh, I think there's, uh, it's, it's going to be a hybrid. I think there are three, three, uh, three regions you'd look at. You'd look at, from an Asia-Pacific point of view, yes, Singapore, Mass, have been very, very advanced in, in their willingness to embrace new technologies. Um, you see uh, services like Bondi Value and so on developing out in, in Singapore. Um, it certainly is attractive and it's, it's, uh, it's a regime and a jurisdiction that we have looked extremely closely at and continue to monitor. But we've got to walk before we run. Um, second uh, uh, region that you could look at is the Middle East because there are some... Uh, uh, around Abu Dhabi and so on, there are some significant changes and adoption that's been going on that could make it very attractive. Um, but from, for us, it's, uh, it's starting closer to home. And um, when our discussions um, sort of led to the fact that it was going to take Gibraltar a little bit longer than expected to get the legislation in place, for all the right reasons and very supportive of it, we pivoted and we looked at the European Union. Uh, and you know, I used to be a French taxpayer based in Paris. I've worked for three and a half years in Brussels or commuted out there. Um, and we looked and we saw that there were some very attractive changes going on. The first one was the one, and you referred to ID2S, was the French law or the French laws around blockchains. And that started in 2016 with the SAPIN2 Act. Interestingly enough, from their perspective, it started from an anti-corruption and economic modernization perspective back in 2016. And that granted um, the powers to reform the securities laws to allow certain securities to be recorded and transmitted on a blockchain. Um, that then developed with ordinances, uh, was it 2017, um, which was the next step to extend the ability for secu those securities to be unlisted securities that could be reg issued, registered, transferred. Um, and then to um, more recent uh, regulation, which was, um, uh, I think it was, no, in fact, uh, yes, it was the uh, 2018 was the decree that they came up with, which is the decree under which SOCGen in 2019 issued their first 100 million uh, euro uh, covered bond, which was registered on the Ethereum blockchain. So those laws were helpful. And as you saw, 
that enabled uh, Orange with ID2S to create a digital security, but in their case for conventional securities with commercial paper. So we looked at the French laws very carefully as to whether that would be the right place for us. We thought highly innovative. Um, we understand the regime. Um, but we also looked at Germany, where in 2021, uh, the Electric uh, Securities Act came in. Um, this removed the requirements for securities to be documented um, and allowed for, the, for them to be entered onto an uh, electronic uh, register, electronic securities register, in this case, uh, DLT. Uh, it also gave the first steps to allow for electronic uh, uh, bearer bonds to be issued. Um, and we, we, we saw that as a very progressive step forward. But the one that caught our eye most and the one that um, uh, we think has got the, 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 the best foundations for us as a digital CSD is Luxembourg. Um, and we followed on from uh, 2001 where they brought in the law on the circulation of securities, very much a technology innovative uh, driven legislation. This enabled us to book securities onto securities accounts maintained as they call them by account keepers. Um, we then saw in 2013, they brought the laws in around dematerialized securities, which meant that um, new forms could be created for securities, bearer, registered and dematerialized. Um, and that the primary level, uh, at the primary level, the issuers could now issue dematerialized securities into what's called uh, issuance security accounts. They then brought uh, two, in fact, they've just brought out the third blockchain law. So 2019, 2021, and 2023 blockchain laws one, two, and three mean that those securities accounts can be maintained on a blockchain. Um, we can uh, legally transfer securities between accounts on blockchain. Um, and in addition to that, we can now you know, have the uh, issuance security account maintained, operated uh, in the same way. The most recent law that they brought in Blockchain Act 3 was very much to accommodate the pilot regime um, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the legislation. So from our side, that's the best uh, environment for us. We can do a natively digital issuance onto our blockchain. That means that you don't have to have all of the um, all of the documentation, sorry, all of the paper records and so on, that we are the golden source of, of issuance and we can tokenize, but we can also support conventional securities. Um, fascinating raft of different regulations, fascinating raft of different laws. And we do see that there will be more and more harmonization. But at the moment, we're looking and saying the marketplace is already for digital securities is already running at a very significant pace. And if we want to support the settlement of MIFID compliant securities in today's world digitally, then Luxembourg's the right place to apply. We've talked about uh, who you are, why you exist. Uh, we've talked uh, at some length about the legal and regulatory environment you're operating in. Could we talk a bit now about the actual products and services which you're offering? You're not entering a green field here. There are lots of uh, intermediaries, actors, market participants out there providing services already. I'm thinking here, not just of asset managers that you're talking to, but custodian banks, uh, trading venues of various sorts, including traditional exchanges, 
registrars, transfer agents, and of course your 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 friends in the legal profession. So, which of the the established uh, participants in these markets are you looking to work with now? I think the the answer to that is many and varied. Uh, if we look at the established marketplaces, we're working with six globally systemic important banks, including within them custodians, as you would naturally expect. Um, and that's helping us uh, understand the dynamics of what would need to change um, because the processes and procedures of working with uh, the sell side with GSIBs um, fundamentally needs to change to support the active and efficient processing of digital securities. Similarly, you know, from their perspective, they're looking and saying, where's the demand coming from? And that was also one of your earlier questions. And the demand is coming from the global asset managers who are looking to satisfy um, the emerging investor demand for digital securities. Um, and part, they'll also be looking to support uh, crypto securities in that way. But in our case, it needs to be a financial instrument. It needs to be a security for us uh, to be to be interested. Um, in addition to that, we've got the uh, the issuance platforms. So you, know, you look at the likes of uh, Agora, NowCM, um, and Origin. NowCM, interestingly enough, uh, actually bought the um, uh, the issuance platform, the trading platform from um, from Orange as part of what's connected to ID2S. Just keeping the theme there. Mm -hmm. um, we're also talking to a number of different trading venues um, and funnily enough also started talking to CCPs. Uh, in addition to that, uh, trading venues from our perspective, we're looking obviously a Luxembourg-based service. You can reach out with the potential to support all 27 EU member states. We're looking at venues in different locations and how we may be able to help. Um, uh, registrars and transfer agents, depending on which country, what they're called and how they operate, there are different nuances there. And you're exactly right. There's a significant number of lawyers that we're working with because part of what we're behind this, you asked about our products and our services. We've also got to be thinking about those products. Are, are we actually talking about something where the legal and the economic uh, benefit transfers with the security or is it something where it's a digital representation of it that's moving and the different uh, legal treatments that are there? So we're dealing with all of those types of participants, but we're also dealing with the emerging world digital securities entities who are coming to market. So we're working with a raft of different um, uh, new actors in the marketplace who are looking at how they can uh, meet and support the demand that's going on. Um, and quite naturally, we're working with uh, people like uh, Archax, our parent, not only in their MTF broker and custodian business, but also they've just launched a new tokenizer. So uh, we've obviously been looking at the different standards they've got and how that all works. So a raft of different discussions, but ironically, to get us ready for the MVP for our minimum viable product, that's got down to a small, cohort of probably no more than 10 participants that we're dealing with in a very um, regular daily uh, intuitive way as we build the service ready to uh, to be authorized you mentioned ccps is that conversation or those conversations primarily about netting um it's interesting i, I I won't go into too much detail around it, but there is that uh, that is one of the, the key aspects that the CCPs can offer. But also, 
if we look at where the marketplace is going, um, and I've, I've worked with CCPs since 1992, unfortunately showing my age, but since 1992, I've worked with CCP, uh, sorry, 1997, I've worked with CCPs. Um, uh, everybody is going to be modifying the role, all, all different actors are going to modify the role that they perform in the marketplace to support digital securities, but maintain the one they've got for the conventional securities. So if you look from a, from a, uh, uh, an ecosystem point of view. CCPs can offer a range of different services. They're there for the risk mitigation of these transactions. And some of that risk mitigation can still be required for digital securities. So we're not in the, in the, in the, uh, the, in the, uh, the game of um, eliminating disintermediating actors. What we're actually doing is working with the existing actors and with the newcomers to actually identify what are the functions, what are the roles, and how are the processes and procedures going to change to support what is going to be a bigger capital market than we've currently got. Now, what about the asset classes you're going after? You mentioned uh, earlier that they included conventional asset classes, but clearly they're going to include uh, tokenized asset classes, i.e. existing securities that, that, are, that are being tokenized, but also, and you've mentioned this a number of times, you know, native digital asset classes. And so you've got these three, at least three different sets of asset classes you could go after. And I guess they each need different types of support. So how are you going about, maybe give us a list of, of what you're looking, the asset class you're looking to, to support, clearly bonds is among them, otherwise you wouldn't have mentioned the likes of Origin and, and Agora. But how are you going about supporting the different asset classes that you could attack? It's a big marketplace out there with lots of different assets you could pursue. I, I think you're exactly right. And one of the things very much in our mind is if we went for all of it uh, in a comprehensive way, we'd run out of money long before we'd be live. So the focus for day one is to offer a digital corporate bond-based service denominated in euros, settling in central bank money through Target 2. We've already been through some detailed discussions with the central bank regarding the model and the uh, the process that we'd be adopting. Um, and uh, that's been designed into our system and that's being built at the moment. Um, so we're aiming to offer our members and our, our participants uh, an issue a CSD service that supports the settlement of uh, digital securities, both native and non-native. Initially, if you look at the native, it would be a native dig uh, native corporate bonds uh, using uh, blockchain at the core. Um, so that's that's the first bit. Uh, if we then look uh, at the tokenization of funds, there obviously we've had to sorry tokenization of bonds. We've had to look at uh, the asset tokenization. We've had to look at converting the rights of the asset. Uh, of the security into the digital token. We've had to look at the representation uh, on the blockchain. We've had to go through all those. And that's where we've, we're working very closely with some of the pre-issuance uh, pre platforms or primary issuance platforms. And we're working um, also, interestingly enough, Archax is building its own primary issuance platform um, or has launched, but um, uh, we're, we're working very closely on the bond side. Um, if I then move beyond there, uh, we've uh, got, trying to think how I could actually describe this, we've got three very active groups with uh, global asset managers uh, around the funds side. Um, and this is where we've been uh, decomposing uh, 
the different product sets, whether it's a mutual fund or not, um, fixed income funds, equity funds, target date funds, open-ended, closed-ended, um, and I should have said actually on the bond side, USITS compliant uh, bonds as well we were looking at, um, but on the fund side, we're working with different uh, buy-side firms um, who also themselves are issuing uh, the instruments actually around the individual requirements that they've got for their for both their existing and their future um, products. So we see a significant amount happening on the fund side. Beyond that, um, we naturally are looking and we're going to be driven by demand. The, the one beauty of being a relative startup, we've, we've been going a couple of years now, um, is that we, we've got the agility to move very quickly. So if we see more demand coming in on structured products you know, uh, or warrants, MTNs, um, uh, we can, we've already done the, the preliminary work, but we will flip and work with the marketplace, uh, especially on the buy side, uh, to work with meeting those requirements and meeting that demand. Uh, the technology that we've got, we've got the capability if we wanted to, to offer all the range of product sets that can be met, that, that could be asked for as they currently stand in conventional markets uh, and all the corporate actions. But um, as I say, if we were to do all of that, we'd run out of money very quickly. Um, where we're being a little bit more prudent is around things like uh, cryptocurrencies, DeFi protocols and so on. At the moment, those are not in our gambit. Um, uh, it's important to make that differentiation that we are sticking very much with um, what our financial instruments very clearly identified to the regulators, MIFID compliant. Um, we have had discussions regarding real estate and uh, illiquid or privately managed assets. Um, and those, those discussions will continue. Uh, but I'd say at the moment, um, we're looking at the, the greater demand coming in, the bonds and the funds marketplace. I haven't mentioned equities. Equities is you know, uh, a significant market and is um, uh, has achieved some of the benefits that we see being required from blockchain. Uh, equity capability is going to be, uh, or has already been designed into our service. Uh, not all of that is going to be built for the full equity service from the beginning. I'd ask you to clarify one thing. If you are going after assets in their traditional conventional form, and I'm talking here by assets, I mean securities. What does that mean? You're a you're a digital asset CSD, a digital securities CSD. What does going after assets in their traditional form actually mean? Uh, what it means is we've got to have the capability to support conventional securities in the same way uh, as we see the evolution being that we would need to be able to support a number of different fiat currencies uh, across the marketplace. Uh, you know, our, our, our ambition and our remit is to support those that are digital securities, but we've got the same embedded capability to offer both. Um, and one of the interesting dynamics that we've got there is the ability to co-mingle conventional securities with your digital securities. So if you now take us uh, along the adoption route and what is going to appeal to financial institutions is the ability to reduce the level of fragmentation in, in markets and to reduce the level of bifurcation that's going on in the markets. There's no question both, both have to happen. There has to be fragmentation for digital securities to be introduced into the marketplace. 
processes, procedures, operations, functions are all different. So, sorry, some are the same, but they, they all have a difference. Uh, the treatment is also different. The legal construct is also different. But the underlying technology doesn't have to be. And so from our side, we're looking at the ability to enable both to coexist. Is there demand for us to come in as a new CSD for conventional securities? Well, actually, there's quite a few out there at the moment. So the only thing we do is you know, maybe do a, a cost, a cost um, uh, push against the existing, uh, the incumbents. But the real uh, appetite is there to meet the, uh, the new securities. But we're, we're making it possible so that we can support both uh, from very early on in our existence and we've got the capability and the technology to be able to support conventional alongside just think about the ability to pull it all together and to offer it so that you could hold and we're going to have our own centralized um, dlt um, which means that we are the only validator on our blockchain which means that we give certainty around the legal jurisdiction in which those are uh, the transaction is being settled but the ability then to have those held and transferred across wallets that you may wish to have, whether it be on Algorand, Corda, Tezos, Hedera, Hyperledger Bezu, Hyperledger Fabric, Ethereum, that part of the market of, of, of where that demand is going to come from, those are in effect devices. They are mechanisms by which you can hold wallets. What we're looking at is making the capability that you can have it wherever we agree that you can have it and where we support so you can move it between different blockchains. So from our side, it's it's really important that we can support conventional because that needs to sit alongside the emergence of the of the new digital marketplace. I can see why it's useful to asset managers to have a service which insulates them <clears throat> from operational complexities of switching between digital and non-digital securities, if you like. But you were very specific that that cryptocurrencies and DeFi protocols were not of interest to you at this point. Uh, at least one other digital CSD has taken the view that, again, wanting to service its particular client base, some of them do hold cryptocurrencies and they'd like to stake those. And so they provide a service to do that. Tell me more about your thinking about wanting to avoid that. Is it is it because of their regulatory uncertainty or is it something else? I, I think it's more a question of, of certainty. If you, if you look at what a, uh, why were CSDs put in place? They were put in place to offer certainty. They were put in place to uh, help make sure that there was um, greater clarity and prudential um, stability in the marketplaces. Now, we would have no issue whatsoever if, people, if financial institutions are creating a security where the underlying is crypto, that's that's not an instrument that we would be settling. We'd be settling a security, and that's the first piece. But I do think you raise a very interesting point on this, um, and that is the one that our starting position is to build a walled garden, whereby it's financial uh, products that are settled, financial securities that are settled inside the walled garden. Outside the walled garden, where you start talking about cryptocurrencies, DeFi protocols and everything, you've got the unwalled garden. And we believe that in due course, we could take the same disciplines, maybe take them outside of our regulated CSD and operate and offer those services with the same rigor, the same disciplines, the same 
um, controls and governance uh, that you already have in financial markets for the DeFi market. But that would be a separate entity operating a separate service, but with all the same disciplines and so on. Could be that it doesn't offer the insolvency protection because it wouldn't be a CSD operating a security settlement system. But the benefits of taking financial market controls, rigor, discipline, supervision, and so on, and applying that in an onboard garden is certainly something that we're, we're mindful of, but let's walk before we get carried away and, uh, and overcommit what we're trying to do. You said you're working with the incumbents in the traditional industry and you want to work with them, but your ability to work with them successfully is obviously going to be tested to some extent by the range of services that you offer. For example, if you, as you are, parent company is involved in the issuance side, uh, that's going to put you at odds with, I don't know, traditional exchanges. If you get involved in registration, you're going to be at odds with transfer agents. If you do custody settlement asset servicing, you're going to be competing with, uh, with global custodian banks. If you do collateral management, you're going to be competing with, uh, with global custodian banks. Across all of those fronts, you might be competing with, with the investment banks. So which, which services are you planning to offer and how do you see those interacting with the incumbents in the marketplace? That's, uh, uh, that's a, a fascinating question, actually, um, Dominic, because once you put blockchain technology in place, you bring the proximity of the transfer agent, the registrar, and also the proximity of the custodian closer to the operation of a CSD. But what you fundamentally change is it is not the way the world operates today that information is sent to a CSD, a CSD internally functions, carries out its functions, and then maybe after a batch system has run for two hours or something, it throws out the answer. Um, we're not working in, we're not building something for that, that era. We're building one where actually the transfer agent and the registrar is interested in the underlying beneficial owner. They're interested in knowing who the shareholder is. So is the issuer and the issuer agent interested in that level of data. That level of data actually isn't of interest to the CSD, but could be held on the same blockchain. The CSD is interested in the legal entity. The, uh, the CSD is interested in offering omnibus segregated accounts, you know, uh, traditional segregated uh, omnibus, but also the, uh, the ISA account model as well. And that puts us out to um, then support and work closely with the custodian. But now you put it into a world of saying, we have the ability, not as a CSD, because we're, we'd only be authorized for the operations of notary, security settlement, and general maintenance. Um, we've got an ability here to actually work with the other intermediaries, with your transfer agents, with your um, paying agent as well, and, and with your custodian, and actually offer life cycle support such that we'd have the ability to process corporate actions all the way through to, let's say, a, glo a, a global custodian who's got 10,000 or 100,000 accounts out through those accounts with their blockchain technology to the end user. So you've got the immediacy of all those transfers going through in a much more seamless way. The value added by the global custodian or the, or, or the, or the um, uh, sub-custodian to their end client, to their clients, is 
significantly increased. The potential cost saving is in the order 30, 40, 50% cost saving. And the value to the end investor is significantly increased. The proximity between the investor and the issuer is also closed, but you haven't got a CSD actually sitting there saying, guess what? I'm now going to be a transfer agent. I'm going to be a registrar. I'm actually going to be a custodian and so on. Because without those other intermediaries, you'll be standing alone and no one will want to operate with you. And therefore, it's, it's really incumbent upon us and those participants to look at how we can do it seamlessly, but each can specialize in the areas for which they're regulated. And there's enough complexity bringing in natively digital and tokenized uh, securities, as well as the support of the conventional to say, uh, it's, it's far too big, far too complex a game. And also each end of the spectrum, that facing off to the issuer, that facing off to the investor is going to be dynamically changing. If you, if you think that a CSD could handle, um, what, 50 million accounts? Well, I don't know any CSD that does have 50 million. There may be. Certainly Shanghai Stock Exchange 23 years ago had 50 million accounts. So why would we look to replicate? And why would we think that we could handle that many? Um, the whole idea is this is a scale game of which each of the intermediaries has a key role to play and the processes and procedures need to change relative to them and their customers and their marketplace they're facing off to. So I hope that gives a degree of comfort. Um, certainly, I don't think in, five to in 10 years time, I don't think we'll even be called a CSD, but I think we'll perform the same functions and the marketplace, the way it's changing, will actually say, we need those functions to be performed as consistently, uh, but more efficiently, more effectively, and without the duplication and without the zero ad activities, we need those stri stripped out, but we need those functions. And I don't mind whether you call us a CSD or something else, but those are the functions we'll be regulated to perform. Just so I'm clear on this, disintermediation point, you're in effect saying to the transfer agent and to the custodian, you keep the client relationship, we're not going to get involved in that. And the other advantage of, of working with us is that we insulate you from all the operational and technological complexities of uh, helping your clients interoperate with digital assets of all kinds. Is that the basic proposition? Very much so. Very much so. And the degree to which they may wish to hold information to a lower level, that's that's absolutely fine with us because holding that all in a single record means that right from the point that you've created the security, all of that information can be held to the parties who need to have it. You're back to having, you know, in the same way as, as we're creating a digital, uh, sorry, a DLT-based CSD system, our, our blockchain is actually centralized, even though it's called distributed. It's centralized because we're the only ones who validate the nodes. But beyond that, then having the securities transferred and held uh, across multiple different blockchains because we're agnostic as to where people hold their wallets, um, both for cash and for securities, um, whether it's held at the legal entity level, which we'd be interested in, whether it's held at the ultimate beneficial owner, whether it's segregated, whether it's omnibus, all that goes on around us. We concentrate on the most important thing for us, which is offering our three core services. You mentioned accounts and said you didn't want 50 million accounts, but you might want 50 or 500 or 
50,000 accounts. And insofar as you are offering customers accounts or the equivalent of accounts, are you going to offer a range of them? Are these going to be omnibus or, or segregated according to choice, wallets or traditional accounts? What's the range of account structures you're going to offer? Uh, it's going to be both omnibus and segregated. Um, you know, from our perspective, uh, you know, that's uh, and also within that, you've got the ISO account operator uh, service that we'll, we'll be offering as well. Um, I think let me just qualify in terms of the 50 million accounts. We'd love to have 50 million accounts. We'd love to be in a position where we could service, but we'd have to make sure that the AML, KYC and everything else happens. But the world that we actually and we, we see, for example, when I was in Gibraltar, um, uh, one of the firms out there uh, had two million customers. Well, those two million customers might have turned around and said, and that's with a with a bank, might have said we'd actually like to hold our our digital assets at Montes. Well, they could do so, but we see it more a question of of saying how are we going to make sure that we've got a reliance model around AML KYC? How can we see that uh, actually a lot of the additional services to enable um, a much more global basic but a business to operate? And most of those people that we see would actually want to use the existing cust uh, custodians um, because I certainly for one um, don't have the time and I, I know many other people would, would say, I actually want the custodian to perform the custodian services. Um, and what, they, what we're able to do is offer a more seamless, uh, more straightforward, um, more automated, should we say, rather than straightforward, more automated approach. Um, and we give the custodians a window straight onto the portfolio so they could be holding wallets on multiple different chains. And internally, they may have all their own uh, records of that. Or if they haven't, they could see the whole portfolio view by having a wallet. We used to think it was called a node, but it's not. It's uh, to have a wallet on the Montes uh, CSD. Um, and they could see all of their portfolio uh, at any time. Um, your question about the accounts, we're going to offer the capability to hold a, a single record that reflects the unique ownership chain that's relevant. In our case, we'd look at legal, uh, legal entity level. This offers a common ledger uh, within Montis showing the full ownership chain for the custodian, client, beneficial owner, for those who are permissioned to actually see it. Um, we're going to provide, and this is what the DLT allows us to provide, a, a flexible account structure. So we've got the transparency that we're offering there, whilst at the same time, uh, you know, we've got regulatory and corporate governance rules that need to be uh, need to be met as well. Um, but to your point, uh, the account structure there is some flexibility in it, uh, but we're going with, you know, what uh, what the market already demands today from uh, from the starting point. Mm -hmm. Going with what the, the market wants, uh, one final question for you on, on products and services, uh, which is that not everybody is going to want to settle atomically. Are you going to be able to offer people settlement timetables of their own choice? Uh, we're currently working with the market to agree what that choice should be. The answer is yes, there will be a choice. It doesn't have to be atomic. Uh, we think that would be extremely limiting if we did so. Um, we see very much that there will be demand um, and it will be for uh, phased or well-timed settlement periods. Uh, but the reality is we could offer it at any time that people want. There may be, depending on how, how complex that gets, there may be an additional cost to it. Um, but you've got to look at, uh, and we're very keen on keeping the cost down as much as possible, but we are looking saying, is there any reason why you couldn't strike a trade 
and say, I'd like this to settle at three o'clock this afternoon because I know by then I'm going to have the right elements in place. Uh, well, one of the things we've got to think and we're working through with the financial institutions, how do we make sure there's no double spend? How do we make sure you've got the securities in place? How many all the cash in place? What are those dynamics? And that's what we're working through to. Um, at the same time, as you rightly say, there could be an opportunity for the netting. Uh, there's also an opportunity for people to offer a stock lending and borrowing service. Um, because uh, if we're offering a deferred settlement, as you're saying, then you've got to have enough of the ecosystem in place to support shorting, for example, and that certainly can be the case. Um, let's say our starting position is to see that there is funding, whether it's be, uh, because we're offering um, a liquidity management system, um, so we're going to have uh, euro um, uh, central bank money, uh, euros, available in our service. Uh, so long as that's there, we can fit within the settlement time periods that uh, entities would want. But we'd need to make sure that we can ring fence so that there's no double spend of that cash. Work in progress as to how flexible we can be. But we've got, um, we've got a few months before we're uh, going to have to finalize that. Um, but the first service is being built so that you can actually offer pre-funded um, uh, atomic settlement or agreed timing settlement. We've talked about who Montes is and why you exist. We've talked about the legal and regulatory environment you're operating in. We've now talked about the products and services that you're offering. In this um, fourth and, and final section of our conversation, I'd like to talk about your overall market positioning and your strategy from a, a higher level, if you like. And I'd like to go back to something we've, we've, we've touched on already, which is the products and services and how they might threaten uh, incumbents with, with disintermediation, those transfer agents, registrars, custodian banks we, we talked about. It's clear you, you want to work with them, you believe you can work with them because they will maintain the, the client relationship and you'll be providing services to them which insulate them and their underlying clients from the complexities of dealing with a marketplace which is going to cover conventional digitally native and uh, migrating securities. Can you expand a little bit on, on, on how you expect those relationships to grow from, from where they are now uh, in the conversations you're having with them? Are they comfortable with the model which you've created or are they starting to raise concerns? Uh, we certainly had no uh, major concerns. Uh, everyone will always ask the question, well, you know, what's your demarcation line? How far do you want to go? And you can look at these at, at, at all the different uh, areas. Uh, so, for example, you know, I mentioned to you about the primary issuance uh, platforms that we're talking to. Well, when you start to look at where primary issuance platform, you sort of say, okay, so where does it end? Does it end at the full set of terms and so on? But if you're operating that on a blockchain, why don't you then become the golden source of that? initial data, the primary issuance data, and where does it then move from there? And I think each of the different actors has looked at this, each of the participants and said, there's so much to change within, or sorry, to adapt to within uh, digital securities, that it is a significant ask to get yourself to be able to support conventional securities and natively digital and tokenized as a regulated entity, and then get the regulatory approvals to perform other intermediaries roles uh, in such a wide range of different marketplaces. Um, from our side, we're working very closely with 
un unnamed at the moment, but uh, with a, a small cohort of, uh, of participants, um, which includes transfer agents. And one of the things we've got to look at is when, as we were talking about funds uh, earlier, um, from, a, from a funds business, there are certain, certain funds that don't require a CSD at all, but they require a transfer agent. And we're looking for the common good of the marketplace uh, and for a funds administrator. And so we're not looking to, to suddenly say, we can take any individual function out. What we're actually saying is that those, those regulated functions need to be performed, but they need to be performed in a DLT enabled environment. Um, so to your question of, are they feeling threatened? Are we feeling threatened? Well, I turn it the other way and actually say, why doesn't an MTF consider setting up a CSD service and offering it under the pilot regime? And I'm sure some will already have looked at it. Well, the question is actually to operate a CSD is very complex itself uh, with the regulations that you've got to adhere to. Um, so it may be easier and CSD regulations differ across different countries uh, or certainly have different regions. Um, I think the, the order of magnitude of what we're trying to do is the one that says it would be foolhardy for us to try and expand ourselves beyond addressing the CSD requirements as they currently stand. Uh, if you look at what uh, Archax has done, Archax has put in place uh, some of the infrastructure that's needed. We're putting in place another piece, um, but we wouldn't be able to support the conventional marketplace unless we went out and got ourselves authorized as those other intermediaries already have. And that it's, it, there isn't a business case for it. And it's just, um, it, it, it isn't logical for us to try and move beyond what we've currently got to focus on. Where we do see changes uh, is, for example, in offering tokenization services or offering market data and so on, because there's going to be a scarcity of that around. And we do see ourselves evolving further there. We see ourselves also being able to support natural persons if that then became one of the requirements. Certainly, uh, when I was involved at, um, at one of or the largest uh, European, um, uh, European being the whole continent, uh, CSDs, uh, I think there were about 44,000 members. So it can be done. We see ourselves preparing for, uh, for a return of that sort of era. But to your point around, um, how are we working with them? We're working with them on very specific examples of where we would go live and how the service would operate and how the process, our processes and theirs would change. But we're not looking and, and in any way looking at how we'd replace them. One big decision you made, and you made it quite early, was to use distributed ledger technology. I guess you didn't have to. In theory, you could have used other technologies. You announced recently you're going to uh, be using the Settle technology, which has been acquired by uh, Delta Capital. You referred to this earlier. What what governed the choice of of DLT in the end? I think it was looking at some of the big big obstacles there are to efficiency and access in the marketplace. Um, from the efficiency side. There's an awful lot of duplication that goes on in the marketplace. Uh, I remember sitting with one of the uh, global, sorry, one of the largest ICSDs. Uh, there are a couple, um, 
And one of the frustrations was that you couldn't give access to financial institutions into your system so they could actually see when processes had completed so they could then be more efficient uh, with the underlying securities or cash that they've got. Our decision to go with blockchain is to actually give that level of transparency, to give that level of accessibility, and to give that level of uh, immutable um, trust in a service that says that you can always see what your exposure is, what your position is. So if we had a 9-11, if we had a, a serious outage, or if you had an outage, you'd always know what your underlying position and exposures are. You'd know because it sits inside your firewall with your data, you'd have all that information. So when you look at what is the core requirement of a CSD, it is to look after operational risk. And that operational risk is significantly reduced if we give all the participants the visibility over their holdings uh, on a permanent basis um, so that at any time they know their entire, uh, their entire exposure. The next thing we come behind it, which goes with the efficiency, is the ability to have a single golden source, to have a single record of the information that we've got, um, and to be able to offer it uh, cross-chain. Because in, in the future, um, much as you and I might uh, phone each other on a mobile phone, I don't know whether you've got an Android or an iPhone, and you don't know whether I've got an Android or iPhone or even a Nokia 9000 from long, long ago. So the reality behind it is all of those are devices that you want to be able to hold your securities in wallets and transfer them and cash um, wherever you want within the defined network. The defined network would be those that we support. Um, what we've also been doing is looking at how we can use blockchain technology so that if you are a, uh, a global systemically important bank and you're using internally for your enterprise-wide a blockchain we don't support, but that's okay. We're looking at how we transfer your instructions uh, onto or your movement uh, onto uh, our ecosystem and have that information shared between the two. So we're making it much more efficient. And, and why did we choose blockchain? We chose it because actually it gives us a paradigm shift in the service that we can offer as a CSD. It is where the marketplace is going. Um, digital securities benefit significantly, sorry, uh, can only be supported by, by operating on a blockchain service. And we're putting that in place already, but we're using it as a paradigm shift. We are changing the processes with the marketplace. We're not forcing anything. We're agreeing how it's going to work, how it's going to operate. Um, and we're very confident with the deal that we've done with Delta Capita, uh, that we've got a significant uh, expertise, significant commitment uh, of the firm. They're 1,200 strong. It gives us depth. It gives us capability. And they're extremely well known in capital markets. You're not, of course, the first CSD to use uh, DLT technology. ID2S used it. Uh, that, that initiative did not succeed. Nothing to do with the, the technology, the settled technology. In fact, the same settled technology you're going to use. Nothing to do with the, the technology. But, but ASX, um, is your confidence in, in this technology? Um, um, clearly, it isn't affected by it. But I imagine this question comes up. ASX tried to build a CSD, if you like, using DLT technology. 
that didn't go so well. Why were you not uh, disillusioned by that yourselves? I think I think it's a very fair question. Um, let's let's go with with the starting point of uh, you need to look at why ASX got into difficulty and the problems they had. Um, you talked about ID2S. ID2S stayed in a conventional world. They didn't move into a digital world. Um, and they got challenged by the incumbent CSDs in the area. Um, for us, one of the points you were you were point alluding to in in the discussion around ASX. It wasn't clear on ID2S. It wasn't a technological failure, was it? It was a it was a business problem. It's business. It's business. Yeah, uh, and and in the nicest possible way, we we you know, we we looked very carefully at ID2S. We uh, we wanted to understand what, how, why. Uh, Euroclare France were able to um, to take up uh, all of the business of ID2S, which was very small in relation to what Euroclare France was already doing for those participants. Um, so there really wasn't a scale game that would would help differentiate uh, ID2S as a service, but also the instruments that it supported. It was short-term paper which um, was conventional. Um, I know that they had lots of plans to move further and faster, but um, it's something you know, we are looking to benefit from in terms of not making the same, uh, same decisions. The other aspects around, around scale, um, back in about 2018, 2019, uh, I was working for one of the big four um, uh, audit firms, and we had a visit from Settle Technology, um, and we had a presentation showing us 15 different blockchains working in five different locations, San Francisco, New York, London, Frankfurt, and Singapore. And it was processing over a billion transactions a day. It was processing more than the gross gross total for the United Kingdom wholesale capital markets. Um, it was a very significant um, uh, performance. Uh, we've looked at some detail about how that was done, what it was done, what the implications and so on. Um, and so we are comfortable that the service that we're developing will be able to scale. We've also been evidencing how we can um, hold uh, tokens and move them across multiple different blockchains. Uh, we've already seen that evidence that's been presented as part of our own build. Um, because we are connecting to certain multiple uh, blockchain services or website uh, blockchain networks. Um, we have, by the way, investment in us from, um, and we're extremely appreciative for um, Algorand, uh, R3's Corda, uh, Tezos. We also, through Archex, there's investment uh, come in from Hedera. Um, we see that, um, uh, that the technology that we're putting in place and the deal with Delta Capital gives us the ability to reach out and connect to a raft of different networks. Question for us, and connecting to Ethereum and things like that, question for us, Dominic, is where's the demand? If the demand is on those networks, we've got to be able to support them. And that's what's really key to us. That's why we're in the discussions with the primary issuance platforms about linking and connecting across, taking the full set data, full data set um, of terms at the point that is ready for issuance so that that information is directly taken into our service and linking it out the other side to connect to uh, all of the intermediaries that we need as part of our service. 
So to the technology side, um, I'm not going to overpromise, but I'm going to say that we are confident in the choice that we've made. We've even got the ability to out, output to relational databases and generate the uh, paper records that may be required for tax authorities or anyone else like that. Um, we're not building it all on day one, but we're very cognizant of what we've got um, and how it can service the market and support the market. I interrupted your view on ASX. I'm trying to think where I was going to go with that one, but uh, um, you know, we, my question was whether it, had, you know, why you were able to get over that potential loss of confidence of that project not succeeding. I, th I think there was uh, several aspects there, and um, yeah, I, it, it's not reasonable to sort of unpick the issues that ASX had with that um, development. Um, I would point that. You know, a lot of it's out in the public domain, and we've been able to go through that. Uh, some of it's around project management, around market um, uh, uh, discussions, market liaison, around disintermediation, and about scale. And scale was a key one for us as well. And we haven't got that issue. We've we've designed it out of what we're doing. I'd also draw attention to what SDX have done successfully over in Switzerland. Um, that uh, you know, they've already got, uh, based on R3's quarter, they've got a fully fledged and operational digital CSD. ID2S already did that. They were operational and live. So I do agree with you that uh, you know, a big project was picked up by ASX because it was the chest replacement. So it was a clearing and settlement and it's been abandoned. But I'd equally look, Euroclear, abandoned a 750 million euro replacement with a which was going to be a single platform for all its systems and they abandoned that in 2015 so i think the incumbents have also got some very major issues in getting the right technology in place none of it's easy but that's why we've taken a long time to select our partners and select the underlying technology and the other pleasing thing for us is that technology has been recognized but, uh, for acceptance for uh, connectivity to target two securities. So that for us was also a very positive step forward. What are the benefits bequeathed to you by ID2S? Now, now you- but, but we're Montes, so we're, uh, yeah. we're, going, we're, we're, we're flying our way. Okay. You mentioned um, a number of other blockchain providers, uh, R3 Corda, Tezos, Algorand, and, and well, you mentioned it, but I know about Hedera Foundation as well. They've all yep. they invested in in Montes. Um, what are their expectations of those investments? Um, I was going to say uh, they've all invested in formats in different forms. Doesn't mean everyone has invested in equity, um, and some of that's through the Archats Group, but Archats Holdings. But uh, vast majority is direct with Montes. Um, what do they expect? Uh, well, they expect us to, uh, first of all, develop a digital CSD that supports and grows and expands the market. Uh, every single person who invests in us would like us to use their underlying technology. Um, we've been very careful about that and we never made a commitment that said we would, but what we are doing is we're able and we are gonna connect to all of them so that we've got the capability to support and operate CSD services connected through to their networks um, 
and we work very closely, it does give us the, uh, the, the two-way benefit that we can ask lots of very detailed technical questions around the underlying uh, networks that they've got, how they operate and so on. And bearing in mind, you know, we're looking at, first of all, from one sort of side, do we, what sort of gas price or anything else do we need? How does that work? Secondly, we've got all the different consensus models, the speed, the throughput, the technical design of the different networks. And thirdly, from a tokenization point of view, what tokens are accepted and move around? So is it an ASA, is it an ERC20, what, what is it? Um, so one of the key benefits we get from uh, the financial investment into what we're trying to do is actually we get the direct access to the technical expertise that we need to be successful. You've just mentioned you couldn't, of course, commit to one layer, one blockchain. You mentioned that you wanted to connect to all of them, but of course you can't really do that. There, there are too many of them. So how many blockchain protocols are you actually intending to support both at the outset and looking forward? And I wondered how you made that selection how you chose the ones you want to work with now and in the future uh, that's one of the questions that has exercised most of our time because at the end of the day as a commercial entity a digital csd we need to connect to the networks blockchain networks that have got the, the, the demand where people are issuing onto where people are trading on where people are looking to settle using their wallets on those on those networks um, we haven't announced which networks we are uh, connecting to we'll do that in about a week or two's time but there are three networks we're going to go live with um, uh, at the beginning uh, we have the capability and this is one of the benefits again of teaming up with delta using settled technology we've got the ability already to connect to four and we're adding extra to it so if we wanted to, and this comes down to a commercial um, in, uh, deployment on our side, we could con uh, connect to a wider number of networks. Uh, and we know that because of the tech, the tech already supports those. Uh, so the question there really is, um, uh, where is the demand going to come from, from the marketplace? And that's why we're working with the buy side very closely and with the uh, six globally systemic banks because between them, they'll show us and, and you know, each is asking of each other, uh, where's the starting point? Rather interestingly, you know, Aberdeen has invested uh, as a strategic investor in Archex and Aberdeen sits on the Hedera General Council. Um, and I'm sure uh, the others are all equally well represented. I mean, obviously R3's quarter has got um, a significant number of financial institutions, um, as to some degree do Algorand and Tezos. But uh, if, you, if you were going to look at it, you'd say the biggest demand is actually on Ethereum today. But is that, is that where it's going to be in the future? Interesting we'll, question. We'll make, we'll make the announcement in, um, uh, in a couple of weeks of where we're going. And the other bit is on our tokenizer. Our, uh, you know, for, from that is obviously being able to tokenize out onto multiple different networks. You brought up the question of scale more than once in this, in this conversation. You said a, a few minutes ago you had uh, designed it out. You, you recalled the presentation by Settle, the, the provider that you've chosen uh, back in 2018, five years ago, uh, being able to do a billion transactions a day. 
Now, of course, all blockchain technologies have run into this criticism that uh, scale and speed are not what they're good at. Uh, and um, that, on the face of it, is an obstacle to CSDs making use of, of blockchain technology. They do do high volumes. Uh, what's the, what, is, what is your answer to that question? It must come up. Um, are scale and speed still issues with blockchain technology and you've had to design them out? Um, I, th I think it is in, in both cases uh, a, a challenge. Um, and you know, when we go through our full production, uh, sorry, our full stress testing and so on, we will publish our results of what we've achieved and how we've done it. Um, I think one of, the, one of the areas where we've got uh, a greater degree of comfort uh, is the fact that we are the only validator on what is a centralized DLT. So what that means is that we can actually generate the block within a very, very short period of time. We're talking a couple of seconds to generate a block. Um, and we can ensure that it is sequen sequenced so that no blocks are created faster than others. Because we, are, we are validating everything. It gives us a benefit on uh, avoiding the Lexitas situation of conflicts law and where is what jurisdiction are we settling under, but it also means we've got control over the creation of the block. What we've subsequently worked it on is if we're now transferring securities between your wallet on Ethereum, Corda, um, Algorand, Hedera, uh, Tezos, wherever, if we're doing it, and those are permissioned private or permissioned public blockchains. Depends on the consensus model and the validation as to how long it takes for those blocks to be validated. So what we've done is we've looked to ensure that we can lock the security or the cash such that it can't be double spent, it can't be moved. Uh, it's all held and controlled through from, our, from ourselves, which means that it's us on our Montes blockchain core CSD that is your golden source, that is your books and records, that is your portfolio. And that enables us to A, control the manner in which it's done, but also ensure that we retain that rapid speed that we need to be able to offer a service, which in the early days we think will, um, will um, be a reasonable volume, but one which could scale uh, very dramatically and uh, and handle uh, orders of magnitude uh, transactions uh, as you know, as adoption uh, increases for digital securities. So um, it's actually the governance, the control, and the structure uh, that enables us to do that, Dominic. This has been a, a long and, and very wide-ranging conversation. I have one final question for you, Martin, and it's this. I'd like you to look forward a little bit. If, as I'm sure you would agree, we're on this transition towards a tokenized future for the securities markets, how do you think the role of a CSD, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you're not even sure you'll be called a CSD in future, but how do you expect the nature and the role of a CSD to change as that transition progresses over the next three, five, seven, 10, 20 years? Uh, the way I see it changing is actually around the core of what a CSD does. CSD provides the integrity of issuance, the investor protection, and finality. So the, uh, the integrity of issuance 
we would see a world whereby you would you would be issuing directly onto a blockchain if you are a a corporate of whatever sort you could choose to issue directly onto a blockchain that blockchain would be inside um, a defined ecosystem a regulated ecosystem um, i'm talking here from a walled garden you could equally have an unwalled so we do see a world whereby uh, corporates would be able to raise money to get access to capital markets and would do an issuance directly onto whichever blockchain they believe is the most appropriate. That blockchain, obviously in a regulated and uh, permissioned world, um, could, uh, could then provide the opportunity for anyone who is permissioned, financial institutions are the ones we know best, uh, to actually uh, transact on those securities. And we see multiple uh, blockchains existing, whereby in a CSD's um, ecosystem, all of its participants can settle transactions that have been traded on those blockchains. So you could have JP Morgan on one blockchain, City on another, transacting. And as, as I describe it, just like the cogs in a wheel, their transaction, whether OTC or on venue, actually has triggered a state change. That state change goes all the way through to the Montes books and records, which means that you don't have uh, any um, gap between transacting and settlement, that it happens simultaneously. You then start to say, well, actually, what are we really doing? We're having integrity around the issuance. We are actually, as the CSD, making sure that, um, that nobody has the ability to enter or take out tokens from the ecosystem without us knowing and without it changing the number of securities or cash that's in the system. Similarly, when we go to the other side on corporate actions, actually they would be programmed into the tokens or into the smart contracts and they would be performed um, simultaneously on behalf of the intermediaries who are servicing their clients. You actually take it to um, us also focusing on uh, how is finality, that's the legal enforceability of the transaction affected? Well, actually, you get to the point where set, uh, SF1, 2, and 3, the entry onto the, onto, um, of the transfer order into our system, the irrevocability and the legal enforceability happens simultaneously at the point that JPM and City have done their transaction. Now, that's a bit of a way off, but what you actually end up doing is saying, our role, whether we're a CST or maybe redefined, is actually to manage the rules and the principles of that ecosystem operation and to uh, manage and oversee the, um, the permissioning. But we are not supervising or regulating any of the uh, participants. We are um, putting in place that ecosystem and operating that ecosystem, which allows us to fulfill the critical functions of a CSD and to maintain them. Reason I say, is it called a CSD in the future? I think maybe not because what's central? In this case, we're central to the ecosystem, but we're actually elevating it up into a, a future state whereby you and I sitting on our smartphones or whatever it's gonna be called by then, 
probably be a wristband or something like that. And we can transact on our portfolio. It could go straight through to our um, uh, to our broker who's effected the transaction. And it's happened while you and I sit next to each other and just push something on our wrist. That's the world we see ourselves moving to. And interestingly enough, it's a world whereby the immutability, the transparency means that it's a much more secure environment for us to operate and much faster, more efficient, greater velocity of transactions. As soon as I bought something, I can repo it out. I could lend it to someone. I, there are people who are going to be offering that service for me. So the whole idea of doing an end of day sweep on my cash record in my, in my retail bank account and putting an overnight money to gain a couple of pennies more, this happens intraday, during day. Uh, so it's a fascinating journey we're going on and quite a world we're going to see in the future. And that's the future of finance. Martin Watkins, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to the members of Future of Finance. My pleasure, Dominic. Great to see you. Thank you.